Hey everyone, we're in conversation with Dr. Ruth Gautian. Uh, Ruth is the Chief Learning Officer in Anesthesiology at Weill Cornell Medicine. Now, here's the better part though. She's a practitioner and that's, I'm a recovering CLO, Ruth, as you know, so um, we have lots to talk about from the CLO side. But Ruth is the 2021 Thinkers 50 Radar Winner Award um, uh, person. And I am just thrilled for you because You've done so much in our space to be recognized by the Thinkers 50 committee, let alone being a stalwart on Marshall Goldsmith's um, 100 Coaches Group. You're just, you know, you are an amazing individual and professional and practitioner. Yeah, here we are talking about this, the success factor, developing the mindset and skill set for peak business performance. Um, here you are, it's a pandemic. You're like, I'm going to bring all of my research from the past X decades together and all these great discoveries you found with different people you interviewed, et cetera. And you've distilled success, high achieving success down to basically four uh, pieces of, um, I guess I would say uh, attributes that really got me thinking about me uh, the people that I've coached and led in organizations uh, around the world. Anyway, it's a, it's a fantastic book. Let's start first with this question. Is success something that we all should be achieving for? Why not? Who wants to be average if you can be successful? Oh. I really think that people want to achieve more, but don't always know. They, they're trying to collect all this information. They're going to wake up at 5 a.m. They're going to do all these things, but that doesn't really work. So yeah. they're sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall, hoping something will stick. So I've tried to just look at it from a different way because I've been obsessed with success for a really long time. <laughs> Well, and so, you, you, you yourself, you yourself have achieved such success. And I'm curious, as we get into the four principles, I would say, of the success factor, um, do you see yourself as someone who has learned those four particular attributes or, or have you always had them? So my question really is, is it innate or is it learned or is it a bit of both to be, quote, successful? I think you need a little bit of, of both, but I think everyone has the potential. Okay. I definitely feel that success can be learned. When I realized what these four elements were, it was actually, I did my doctoral dissertation on this. I mean, that's how obsessed I was with success. That's, that's going to do um, it. Yeah, That's going to do it. Um, but I really, at that time, I looked at the top physician scientists, those who have the MD and also do research. Right. And over the years, I was curious if what I found with physician scientists also holds true with people in other industries. And that's just when I started interviewing the other Nobel Prize winners and astronauts and Olympic champions and NBA champions. And that's why this, this is really research-based and it crosses industries. Because when I realized by crossing industries, by cross-pollinating them, I quickly realized that a Nobel Prize winning scientist is just like an Olympic champion figure skater. Huh. And if that's the case. If it was the same four elements, that's when I realized that these are learned skills. And I promise you, I was patient zero. I tried it on myself before I ever wrote one page <laughs> of the book. Oh my God. Okay. So um, let's look at these. So in, in no particular order, there's the constantly learning through informal means as uh, one of them. There's the strong foundation. Yeah. Uh, there's the perseverance kind of resilience yep. piece. And then there's intrinsic motivation. So maybe yeah. we'll, we'll work backwards and start with the, the latter. Um, 
Intrinsic motivation is interesting because you often hear uh, people suggest that, well, to be successful, you have to be extrinsically, extrinsically, sorry, motivated in order to fuel that passion or purpose. And you're actually somewhat counterintuitive in the argument and suggesting, no, it starts from within why you've been quote, quote, put on here from earth uh, on earth. Sorry. So tell me a bit about where, why that starts out uh, the journey of the four attributes. So, uh, so let's, Let's think of um, a person who likes science and a family member was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And this person who loves science doesn't want anyone else to experience that devastation and that kind of loss. So they decide they are fueled by this idea of, I am going to help find a treatment for cancer so that nobody else has to suffer that is their fire that comes from within. They are not motivated by the Nobel prize. They are not motivated by a promotion. They are not motivated by a diploma or award. That's called extrinsic motivation Mm. because what happens if you are pushed and motivated by the diplomas, the awards, the promotions, that's when other people judge you. And that's not sustainable. That will get you, but so far. But imagine you are the scientist, and we're, we're just using this, but it can be for any industry, right. who wants to find this treatment for cancer. Do you think they're going to quit just because their grant was rejected, a paper was rejected, the experiments didn't work? No, they're going to keep working because they know that they are going to learn from whatever happened and use it to fuel them. That's why they get out of bed with a bounce in their step and they cannot quiet their mind when they have to go to sleep. If it was all about extrinsic motivation, all of these, the Olympic champions and Nobel prize winners, they would have quit as soon as they got their medal, but they didn't, they double downed. Mm. So that is why I am convinced that it comes from within that fire in the belly, what you would do for free if you could, why you were put on this earth. It's your intrinsic motivation. And there's arguably then a pretty strong articulation or alignment with the perseverance piece, because if if you believe in your own North Star, why you've been put on this planet, um, you probably have to also be resilient because there's going to be ups and downs and possibly more downs than up. So is that a fair assessment? Is that what you saw in some of these high performance as well? It's really about how they are controlling what is in their control and out of the control how they are dealing with challenges. Hmm. So for example, they always want to control what they can control. Let's go back to our scientist friend. He cannot control that the paper was rejected, cannot control that the experiments didn't work, cannot control that the grant didn't get funded. Hmm. They can control what they do with that information and what they do with it later. The Olympians have been training forever for the Olympics and then a pandemic comes and the Olympics get postponed for a year, most of them didn't quit. They kept training for the extra year because it's from, it's from within. Right. And what happens is you're going to start working harder and smarter. So I don't mean that these high achievers are working 18 hours a day. They're not, they are actually leveraging their peak performance hours, their peak cognitive hours. So for example, I am a morning person. I get more done by 10 a.m. than I would the rest of the day because I start getting slower as the day goes on. If I wake up super early in the morning, I am going to leverage that time 
to work on my writing, my editing, the things that take the deep focus. Mm. I'm not scheduling deep focus hours in the remnants of my time on my schedule. That would be a waste of time. Right. Right. But if you're a night owl and you don't go to bed till two, three o'clock in the morning, you're not going to start being productive at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. You have a slower on-ramp to your morning. And that's okay because you have different peak cognitive hours. So learning how to leverage that is so important. So it's not about working harder as much as it is working smarter. And the book talks about different ways to work smarter. So on the perseverance front, however, a curiosity question for you back to kind of, is it learned or is it innate? How does one teach perseverance? How does one learn perseverance? Because again, um, that's a tactic that you're suggesting that I guess I'm looking inward to say, when am I at my best? Yeah. Uh, you may have met one of my children who seems to like working late into the night and not early in the morning, for example. <laughs> but is it is it something that we all have to discover or can we learn from experts, you know, coaches, guides, facilitators, Sherpas to help us see where we're bringing our best self such that we can be more perseverant when it uh, when the knocks come? So. The, I'm an adult educator by training. So I can't just tell you about the four elements without teaching you how to implement them in your own life. Excellent. And the last third of the book is all about implementation, all about how you discover your intrinsic motivation, how you develop perseverance and work ethic, how you build a strong foundation, how you can continuously learn. It's all in there. And what more is that I fully recognize that what works for you may not work for me because we're not identical people. Mm -hmm. And what works for me today may not work for me when I have a transition, a new job, a new house, another child, a pandemic, <laughs> all those things cause us to reevaluate what we enjoy doing, what we don't enjoy doing, the different loads in our life of what we can handle. So that's why we need to reevaluate them. And that's why I offered what I call a buffet of options to choose from, because what works for you won't works, won't work for me. And what works for me today may not work in the future. So we need to have those options. And trust me, there are so many, it is bursting with actionable steps that people can start doing immediately to start improving their own success. Uh, it's what I love about you. You're both a research and theoretical person, but the practitioner oozes out of you to help the listener, the reader, your uh, team members, obviously, where you work with, you know, actionable results, uh, ways in which to get the, you know, your, your best self forward. The, the third of the four, Ruth, when you speak about strong foundation, two things uh, caught my attention. Uh, one was, maybe this again is the chief learning officer in me but it was the reinforcing of things that you've learned or things you've come across, like this notion of having to constantly reinforce something that's come up, otherwise it sort of gets lost. And then the second one, uh, comment on both please, is sort of your, your board of directors, your team of mentors, if you will, both of them yeah. leading to helping you build out your strong foundation. So maybe touch on, on the third of the four. Yeah. So the strong foundation is what you did early in your career. Those basic skills are what you need to continue to do throughout your career. You can't say I'm rich and famous now. I don't need to do these things anymore. And sure, that might be for certain things, but there are certain foundational skills 
that you need to constantly strengthen. And it doesn't matter if you're an Olympian or a scientist, whatever it is, you constantly have to reinforce it. Now, if you think of the biggest um, people who are in the book, I share the story, Ryan Millar, a three-time Olympian and a gold medal volleyball player. And he tells me that the most important thing in volleyball is not how high you can jump. It's ball control. And in order to practice ball control, there's an exercise they do called pepper. And you can Google what that's like. And he said they would do that right before the Olympics to warm up, work on their ball control. He said he used to do that when he was seven years old, playing volleyball in the backyard with his brother. Hasn't changed hasn't changed. And that doesn't matter if you are Neil Katyal, who's argued 45 cases before the United States Supreme Court, or if you are Ryan Millar, that gold medal Olympic volleyball player, or Bonnie Blair, who Mm. is this speed skater. She said at that time, uh, there was East and West Germany. She said the East Germans were just built bigger than her. There was no way she could have the power that they had. So she said she was going to beat them on technique. She even switched coaches to go back to really strengthen the skills that she learned early in the sport. And that's how she became such a decorated Olympian. Wow. Those are great examples. It's fantastic. All right. The fourth of four, and I do want to talk about both Steve Kerr and the passion audit, by the way. So the fourth is constantly learning Um, through informal means. And I mean, I love all four. This perhaps personally spoke the the most directly to me as that chief learning officer, as someone who introduced pervasive learning uh, to the world, this notion that learning is equal parts formal, informal, and social. So tell me a bit about your learnings and discovery on the informal means piece. So all of the billionaires that we read about, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Mark Cuban, they read three to eight hours a day. Yeah. And trust me, I'm a big reader. That to me sounds like heaven. But most people don't have the three to eight hours a day to read. But it's not reading that made them billionaires. It's being open to new knowledge. They are constantly looking for gaps in understanding and making connections that other people don't see yet. They're also taking things that work in one industry and using it and utilizing it in another industry. That's innovation. They're constantly doing that by opening their mind up to new knowledge. Now for Gates and Buffett and Cuban, that's reading. But what if you don't like to read books? Well, you can read articles, you can read blogs, you can listen to podcasts, right? We're sharing good stuff, webinars, LinkedIn learning courses, It's endless, right? If you want to learn, the teacher is always there. There There's so many ways that you can consume new knowledge. Now, one of the ways is something that you alluded to earlier, that board of directors, that team of mentors. Mm -hmm. These are people who believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And I actually talk about three levels that you should have of people on your mentoring team. But some of these people have the skills and expertise that they can actually talk you through something when you are faced with a challenge, they can, first of all, put it in perspective for you, but also help you brainstorm other ways to utilize information that you just heard. Mm. So having a diverse team of mentors is so critical. Amazing. Now, I'm of a certain vintage and so grew up watching the Bulls win six world championships over eight years of which 
Steve Kerr had a huge helping hand in three of those, uh, a guard for the Chicago Bulls, for those that aren't aware. But then uh, my middle child has become a big Golden State Warriors fan, in part because of Steph Curry, another guard. But I think in, in fair shape to Steve Kerr, the coach, what did you learn uh, from Steve Kerr, perhaps as a player and as a coach, that helped form some of the theory and opinion and, and tips that you got inside the success factor? He fascinating individual, a time NBA champion, one of the most grounded people I've ever met, and a big reader as well, by the way. Um, and it was very interesting because he knew how to play basketball, but playing basketball and coaching basketball are two very different things. Mm. And the way he learned to coach, he didn't just use the experiences of the coaches he had. He actually went around to different coaches and watched the games and watched their styles. But he said he always went back to his values. And he talked quite a bit about what his values were and how he was going to bring that to his coaching style. And we talk about that quite a bit in the book and the success factor about how you can bring your values into the workplace. And to me, that was so interesting because too often we're just working, we're just creating, we're just doing. And then we're always hearing about bring your authentic self. Well, after a while, you forget who your authentic self is because you've been making these widgets for so long under other people's rules. But imagine if you can bring in your values into your work. So when I say Steve Kerr is grounded, he is grounded in who he is. Hmm. And, And he also talked quite a bit about the makeup of a team and why every person is under enormous stress. The last person on the team is fighting to keep their spot on the bench. But the top person on the team, you'd say, oh, the top person, nothing to worry about. Got a lot of work to worry about as well, because they want to keep their top spot. So how do you manage all of that? So that to me was really, really fascinating. And the success factor talks about Steve Kerr's values. Oh, that's amazing. I'm sure you learned a fair bit from the Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen era of uh, ego and, but perhaps his former coach, Phil Jackson, and the way in which he, he coached. And I know having seen a few interviews with some of the Warriors players of today, they just look up to him as, as almost a philosopher of, of, of humanity. And I think that was just great to see him in the book, by the way. So now um, I'm also, uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of John Hagel. Hagel has written about passion as the explorer. And here in your book, you, you provide a real uh, ability for people to sort of tap into an audit of their passion, unless you call it the passion audit. So tell us what the passion audit is and why it's important. Remember I said, I can't just tell you what to do. I actually have to teach you how to do it. So much so that if you look at the book, there's actually, it says online resources. Yeah, yeah. I actually created resources that people can use with the book. They're actual worksheets. I can't tell you find your passion if I don't teach you how to do that. So there are many different ways. I said, I created a buffet of options you can choose from. But one of those things is a passion audit to figure out what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, what you're good at, but don't enjoy doing what you really don't want to do anymore and what you would do for free if you could. And that is, it's a really, it's a simple three column exercise and it is all 
part, I describe it in the book. And then I also, I told you I'm an adult educator. I offer the worksheet so you can actually write it out and start doing it yourself. But what I will tell you is the passion audit, you want to do it every time you have a new transition in your life because your priorities will change. And the pandemic has certainly taught us that. Well, I don't know if uh, CLOs like you and I, you know, practitioners have some sort of secret handshake, but when we get to see each other face to face again, we should come up with our secret handshake. Uh, The book is brilliant. Success Factor, Developing the Mindset and Skill Set for Peak Business Performance. Ruth, where where can we find more information on you, the book, et cetera? Thank you. The book is everywhere that you love buying books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent booksellers. Um, or you can find out places all over the world just by going on my website, ruthgotian.com slash book. Fantastic. Well, it's a book I would argue that's necessary. We've waited for it. Thank you for spending the time, not just with me today, but crafting such great actionable uh, prose and theory and stories and seeing that it is possible to actually achieve that type of success. So Ruth, uh, Mazel Tov, uh, congratulations, and uh, thanks for this. Thank you so much.